The Unbiblical Nature of Reparative Therapy on this edition of Truth and Love. Dale Johnson, and you're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, where we seek to provide biblical solutions to the problems that people face. This week on the podcast, I am always thrilled to have my predecessor and one who's very familiar to this particular podcast because he he started this podcast during his tenure as the executive director of ACBC, Dr. Heath Lambert, who's now the senior pastor at the First Baptist Church of Jacksonville, Florida. You guys are familiar with the works that he's put out, his theology of biblical counseling, his finally free fighting for purity with the power of grace, his biblical counseling movement after Adams. He's currently working on some new resources as well. Heath, I'm so grateful for you. You guys know Lauren, his wife, and he's the father of three children. I'm so grateful for his work at ACBC, inherited a a wonderful place to work and to lead. And today, Heath, our task is to talk about this issue of reparative therapy. So welcome back, I I should say, to the podcast. And I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this topic. Hey, I'm glad to be back. I am, as I always say to you, in front of people, to your face and behind your back. I'm very, very grateful for you. I think you're doing a great job and I'm thankful to be here talking about an important topic. Yeah, this is critical. So guys, just so that you're aware of what's happening, we've, we've talked about this on the podcast before. The issue of reparative therapy or what's known some, in some circles as conversion therapy. There is some confusion, Heath, and this is what we need to, to get on the table. That, that it, and we need to make this very clear. You've written about this in the past, but there's still some confusion about this idea of conversion therapy. So first of all, I want you to talk about what in the world is conversion or reparative therapy. And then we're going to get into how we think about this relative to biblical counselors. So so tell us a little bit about what are we even talking about in relation to reparative therapy? Yeah. So when, when we talk about reparative therapy, we are talking about a specific therapeutic secular intervention that is meant to help people who struggle with homosexuality, particularly male homosexuals. It is meant to help them resolve their homosexual feelings and to begin to act out in heterosexual ways. It was really pioneered by a guy named Joseph Nicolosi, who created the National Association of Research and Therapy of Homosexuality, or NARTH. I think he was the co-founder of that, maybe. And Nicolosi has, recently, has died in recent years. I'm not exactly sure sure when he died, but uh, the the therapy that he pioneered, championed through his through his life, was reparative therapy. And and the way I boil everything down is is I talk about if you can understand three realities about reparative therapy, you'll understand the basic gist of it. So first of all, they are identifying a problem. Mm-hmm. That's the first part. They're identifying a problem. And the problem as reparative therapy sees it is to explain the origins of homosexuality as being grounded in a relational break between parents and their children, specifically between dads and their boys. And so the the way they think of the problem is that there is distance between a dad and his son, the son feeling distance from his father develops a relationship of closeness with his mother 
begins to identify with his mother instead of, as we would hope, a boy identifying with his dad. And as he grows in closeness with his mother and in distance from his father, Nicolosi's phrase is the exotic becomes erotic. So so just as a boy growing close to his dad begins to have erotic feelings for the distant woman, and there the exotic becomes erotic. So a boy growing up close to his mom and distant from his dad, the exotic male becomes the erotic. And so boys begin to, according to reparative therapy, they, they begin to envy the masculine bodies and relationships with masculine men that they were denied in their close relationship with their dad. So, and they, and they honestly believe that homosexual activity is a reparative effort to repair the breach between the father son relationship. So that's the, that's the problem. And then the second part is the process the process of reparative therapy. Every every counseling intervention has a process. And for reparative therapists, they, they seek to repair the damage between the father-son relationship with therapy. This is not what reparative therapists say, but I think listeners will understand what I mean if they say that reparative therapy becomes a sort of therapeutic reparenting. Mm -hmm. You enter into a platonic, it's supposed to be platonic, it's not always platonic, that's part of the problem, <laughs> but, but you're supposed to enter into a platonic relationship with your same-sex therapist, and as you rediscover those emotions and develop closeness, that breach that existed between you and your father is repaired, and so reparative therapy. The goal of reparative therapy, the purpose of it. So you got problem, process, and purpose. Look at that Baptist alliteration. That was beautiful. I know. Look, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the purpose of it is to realize your sexual desires mm -hmm. in heterosexuality. And so, so the reparative therapists like Nicolosi and others are very, very clear that as the therapeutic relationship works itself out, as those tensions are resolved, heterosexual desires will be a natural result of the therapy. And actually, they don't, they don't judge therapy to be successful until those heterosexual desires are in place. And so that's, in a nutshell, reparative therapy. Yeah, and it's important for our listeners to pay attention to the language that, that Heath is using to describe this. You, you'll, if you've studied any secular psychology, you, you'll understand the roots of Freud, Freudian language that, that rooted in Oedipal complex, those ideas, even Adlerian, Adlerian therapy as well. So those things are important. Now, one of the questions that a lot of people have is how did this gain traction in in the evangelical world, because it, it really did in the 60s and the 70s, gained a lot of traction. Part of that has to do with because the, the DSM had homosexuality as a, as a disorder, and that's what they're trying to repair. And so, you know, churches, th this is why we talk a lot about the, the importance of the way we label things. Because when we label homosexuality, for example, a disorder, we start to look to things like reparative therapy to say, well, it's fixing what we think the problem is. We're, we're going to make them heterosexual. And listen, part of the reason that, that we would say very clearly that we're against this type of therapy is because of what it produced, the, the means that sometimes reparative therapy takes, the actions, the techniques that they take to accomplish this goal of heterosexuality is quite barbaric at times and is very problematic. And, and that's why you see the outcry against it, and, and in many ways, rightfully so. So there's, there's miscategorizations 
all over the place here, but but you know, the primary question for us, and we, we could dive into the history of it at another time, but the, the primary question for us is where are we at with reparative therapy as biblical counselors? And then how does this different or distinguished from biblical counseling? Yeah, so th- this is funny. You know, you're talking about we, we kind of uh, got bed together, evangelicals and reparative therapists, because, because on the surface of it, it seems like there's a lot in common. Reparative therapists think that homosexuality is bad. They think it's bad in a different way than Christians think it's bad. They think it's bad in the more maladaptive, mm-hmm. it's not going to help you kind of thing. Christians think it's bad because it disobeys the law of God. And, and they both believe they can change. Mechanisms of change are very, very different. But Christians were just happy to have a partner back a couple of decades ago with some people who were agreeing that this was bad yeah. and agreeing that people could change. And when you put that together with the relative ignorance of every Christian, no disrespect to anybody who's yeah. who's listening, but, but Christians just tend to be ignorant about how to help people with, with complex problems. And so it's like, hey, there's this, re- there's this set of resources out here. They agree it's bad. They want to help. I'll read that because yeah. I don't know what else I'm doing. Yeah. People just kind of stumbled into it and were happy to have a partner. But that ignorance notwithstanding, reparative therapy really is at odds with the Bible. Mm -hmm. I remember when we were doing the ACBC conference back in 2015 on homosexuality, and I'd never seen anything like it. There was hundreds of protesters out on the street. There was news helicopters and news trucks. Next thing I knew, because it was on the campus of Southern Seminary, I was being told I had to go do a press conference with Al Mohler. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? And I walk into this room and the Washington Post is there and the New York Times is there and all of these cameras are there. And I'm going, we're having a conference about homosexuality being wrong. Like, how is how is this in the news? Like, I was in USA Today because I was saying homosexuality is wrong. And I'm like, okay, something's gone wrong here. And uh, I remember as I was answering questions from the reporters at that news conference, they could not grasp. They're saying, but this is reparative therapy. And they're saying, no, it's not. And they're saying, yes, it is. And I said, no, it's not. And the way I explained it, and at least the reporter from the Washington Post seemed like she got it when I said it this way, that, that we're talking about three different responses to homosexuality. One response is the popular secular response. that says homosexuality is okay. Whatever you want to do, do it. That's fine. Be who you want to be. Then there is the response of reparative therapy that says, hey, homosexuality is abnormal. You're doing with the human body what it wasn't designed to do. It's not going to work out well. People are hurting. They want help. Let's come up with some strategies that can help them. And then there is the response of the Bible. There is the Christian and evangelical response. There's a biblical counseling response that says homosexuality is a sin against a holy God. You are not allowed to. It's not up to your decision whether you would like to do it or not. God says you must not do it. Change is therefore required and change is possible, but not by therapeutic intervention. Change is possible by a dispensation of grace from the living Christ. And we are told in the Bible how we can lay hold of that grace through the sufficient scriptures that tell us how to change. Those are two very, very different things. And I'll, I'll even just point, so the so we would say the problem is not just that this is maladaptive. We'd say the problem is that this is sin. The process, we would say, involves the crucial intervention of Jesus Christ to change you and involves laying hold of specific scriptures to 
put off sin and put on righteousness. And we would say the goal is not, and this is where people can also be confused, the goal isn't heterosexuality. The, in the Bible, if you have general heterosexual desires, that's identified as lust. The, the sexual desire that is good is when you have sexual desire for your opposite sex spouse in marriage. And so what we would say the goal is for Christians is not heterosexuality. We would say the big goal is Christ-likeness and righteousness. And underneath that, we would say it is chastity so that you are putting off all sinful desires until you are in marriage. And then the only desires that you're putting on are the desires for your opposite sex spouse. That's a huge distinction and one that needs to be made and clarified over and over and over again. And for those of you who are listening, please pay careful attention to how he distinguishes those things, because what's happening in the culture at large is the idea of conversion therapy or reparative therapy. Those are the two ways that you'll hear this this language promoted. The definition of it is being expanded beyond what Heath described at the very beginning as, as a therapeutic process that was largely utilized in the 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s even, that's been dismissed by the APA, and, and rightfully so. There were some barbaric practices, but it is not something that is that is Christian, and so we need to distinguish that. Now, why are we talking about this the last couple of weeks on the podcast? Why did I want Heath to, to talk about this issue? Is we're, we're having an ordinance that's come up in West Lafayette, Indiana, and we've talked about that and, and the, the language of it, and this is not necessarily foreign to what's happening in some areas, in some statutes in in different places, in different states, different municipalities. But there is one distinction here. So the, the, the larger conversation which we've talked about is, you know, like Senate Bill 1172 in, in California, which talks about limiting for licensed professional counselors sexual orientation change efforts for those who are minors. And if they are licensed, you cannot engage in sexual orientation change efforts. And this is against the practice of conversion therapy. Understandable, I get that. People are fighting about the constitutionality of it, but they always leave a clause of non-licensed religious providers. That includes us as biblical counselors. We intentionally and convictionally make that decision not to submit to the state. West Lafayette is including, as a part of their ordinance, a statement against those who are non-licensed to engage in any type of sexual orientation change efforts. And Heath, this is a big deal. We need to pay attention to what's going on here. What do you think is driving some of the contemporary measures to legislate against this issue of reparative therapy? And, and why are we seeing this definition sort of expand out of its sort of therapeutic cocoon, you know, broader to, to include people like us who are just trying to give a moral disposition from the Bible? Yeah, so it is, it's, it's all about coercion, and it is all about coercing convictions is what it's about. And so here, here's the problem that homosexuals have. It's the problem that every sinner has. It's the problem that transgender people have. It's a problem that adulterers have. It's a problem that liars have. Your guilty thoughts accuse you. Your guilty thought, that's Romans 2. You can't fight it. You can say there's no God. You can say you can do what you want. But sooner or later, in your heart of hearts, when you're lying there in bed at night and it's dark and quiet, you know. That's just what the Bible says. And so so these people's guilty hearts accuse them. And what we're seeing 
as the sexual revolution is just having its moment right now. We're just we're just living in a sex moment. And I hope we're on the back end of it, but I really don't know. But we have been for a while and will be for at least the next little bit in a sex moment. It will pass because you can't live like this forever. And it's just a question of how bad it gets before it passes. But the reason for the whole thing is my guilty thoughts accuse me and I have to do everything I can to help myself believe the lie. This, by the way, is the reason for gender reassignment surgery. Mm -hmm. You can make people call you he. You can make people call you by a name you weren't born with. You can wear clothes of the opposite sex. But when it's time to take a shower and you see yourself in the mirror, you know the truth. And so you've got to bury it down deep. Well, here's the problem. Christians don't play ball. Mm -hmm. And so we have to silence dissent because I need to believe the lie. I don't like my guilty thoughts accusing me. And I think that if I can just shut these people up, it'll go away. And so now it it masquerades, all of that wicked, evil desire masquerades under the philosophy of, well, we want to protect kids. We don't don't want to oppress kids. But here's the thing. You're you're fighting what you believe to be coercion with a worse kind of coercion. Look, what, what I said for years until we got to this point is if the state can coerce therapists Mm -hmm. about the kinds of conversations they can have when nobody is around and nobody is looking, then they will try to coerce Christians. Mm -hmm. And that's certainly true. But here's the, I I just, I would appeal, I don't know who all is going to listen to this, but, but one of our arguments needs to be to the people who are pushing this legislation Mm -hmm. and to the people who are not just reparative therapists who we disagree with and not just homosexuals who we disagree with. Mm Everybody should be concerned about this display of government power Mm -hmm. in the private decisions of parents and pastors and young people and in the private conversations of those people. If they can do it to us today, they will do it to you tomorrow, and you will be sorry when there is a new sheriff in town. What I pray that happens is that pastors are awakened to some of this to to recognize, listen, if they're going after what I talk about in the private ministry of the word, they're not going to they're not going to keep the door shut from from what I say in the pulpit at some point. Right. So let's just be aware of what's going on here. Now, I I do want to mention something I think is 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 at least rather critical is this seems like a one way street. Right. So we want to talk about sexual orientation change efforts. And they want to squelch certain voices. But, but here we are in the public school system where we're allowing through sex education at very young ages this type of coercion into gender confusion. I mean, this is, this is pretty crazy when we, when we talk about limiting sexual orientation change efforts, but it, but it only goes one way. I think Christians need to be wide awake on situations like this. Now, here's the deal. If you and I were just talking about this whole issue of reparative therapy and, and tons of pastors would be on board and they're like, man, we see this clearly. This is really great. And yeah, we want to be biblical and, and we're not just aiming at heterosexuality because there's just much sin that's involved there and we're not doing these barbaric practices. Yeah, yeah, we're on board with that. But something funny, Heath, it, something funny happens when we're talking about legislation and and law and people get really afraid. Okay. So now I want you to help our pastors think through this. When we're talking about legal issues, how in the world do we as churches, individual Christians or pastors respond? How do pastors respond in leadership? How do churches respond collectively as a body? How do we think about responding to these types of of issues that are happening? So first of all, I think we, we have to know when it's time to perk up. You have to know when it's time to speak up. And by the way, by the time these kinds of 
legislations are being proposed, it's past time to do that. So, so th this is just one of those fundamental strikes at the heart of what Christians are called to do, strikes right at the heart of what the Bible says. This, this kind of thing does not stop, as you even pointed out. It doesn't stop here. It's going to go further and further. And so this is time to speak up. Then the question is, well, how do I do that? Well, that's going to be a particular, there's going to be a particular response for each and every different congregation, each and every different minister of the gospel. Some people are going to be influential on social media and be able to write articles. Some people are going to have relationships with people in city government and state government and federal government. Some people are going to have ability to create petitions and to be able to lobby various and sundry groups. I mean, what you have to do is take stock of, okay, what what is it within my power to do? What can I marshal my particular congregation to do? Where can I be influential? But everybody has got to do something. I'll even just say when we had an ordinance similar to this, it's not the exact same thing, but we had an we had an ordinance similar to this that was passed in Jacksonville just about four years ago, I think. And the church had spent years fighting it. And, and honestly, in large part because of the efforts of uh, the congregation I serve and because of other congregations, it was thwarted a couple of times. It did ultimately pass, I hate to admit, but it passed in a much weaker state with a lot more ability for Christians to be able to live with it. Still wasn't great. Still wish it hadn't passed. But if it hadn't been for the intervention of Christians, it would have been a much different thing. And so Christians really can make a difference on these kinds of things. They must make a difference. The last thing I'll say, if you do lose on this, what we all have to remember, and I hope we don't lose, we ought to fight not to lose. We ought to fight to win and we ought to, we ought to not let up. But, but if, if the other side does win and they've, been, they've had some wins to boast about in the last couple of years, what you got to do is not give up. You got to keep preaching the Bible. You got to keep doing what the Bible says. And so at all costs, if, if, for example, an ordinance like this in West Lafayette would be passed, well, if that happened in Jacksonville, the very our alarm would go off the next day. We'd come in. We'd do ministry of the gospel. We would meet with every teenager that every parent in our church wanted us to meet with, that wanted us to meet with them. And we would talk to them about what the Bible says the same way that uh, we did before. And if that was frowned upon, we'd let them put the cuffs on us ultimately. Mm -hmm. And so so it, it, we do need to be willing to suffer, but it's much better uh, mm -hmm. if we can fight and win before that happens. Here, here, brother. I, I, I would say this, even as a corollary for our brothers and sisters who are north of our border in Canada, fighting a similar issue that has already passed, and we would say exactly that same thing is there's a time to strategize, right? If we have it within the, the, the freedom of our country to pursue legal action, if this were to be imposed, we should do that. Absolutely. We strategize to do that. But then there's also a time to stand. And that's exactly what you're describing is, is so, sometimes strategy passes and we stand on the foundation of Scripture and we keep doing morally what God commands and demands of us to do as we preach the good news of the gospel. And and here we stand. And so, brother, thank you for giving us some clarity on this. I, I think we need to be thinking about this, ways that we can get involved. We're going to give you a couple of options in our show notes to, to be involved as well. So make sure that you join in on this fight. Be, be an aware believer of what's going on. And let's, let's fight, I think, for those freedoms to, to preach the gospel freely.
You're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of ACBC. Listen, I'm so thankful for Heath and, and the work that he's done in this area. He and Denny Burke have written a book called Transforming Homosexuality that I think is an important important resource that, that we should be considering even now. helps us to think about these types of issues like reparative therapy. He, he also wrote in ACBC Essays Volume 1 an article on this very topic called Oil and Water, Impossible Relationship Between Evangelicalism and Reparative Therapy, to make our position very clear on how we think about reparative therapy. And that distinguishes us from all these ordinances that are trying to to retain conversion therapy. And so I, I want to make those available to you. Don't don't forget, he mentioned as well, our, our 2015 annual conference that was on that topic, homosexuality, and lots of really wonderful resources, six plenaries on this topic of the issue of homosexuality. One, uh, obviously, by, by Heath, uh, Dr. Al Moeller, and also Rosario Butterfield delivered plenaries that year. And I think you would find those as being very, very helpful. And I also want to mention one other thing that that jumps today, our annual conference in 2022, October 3 through 5 in Memphis, Tennessee, in his image. And today is a price jump. So if you're interested in that or any of these other resources that we've talked about today, you can find those in the show notes. Go visit us at biblicalcounseling.com.